made it all the way to 11. <laughs> We've been here since January. Okay, so <laughs> grab a Bible, turn it open to Genesis chapter 11. Listen, when I say we don't skip a verse, I really mean it. We're not skipping any verses. Okay, so Genesis chapter 11 and verse 10. And while you find that, uh, I want to tell you that my daughter, uh, my, old, my, my second oldest daughter, oldest in the house right now, Jennifer, she decided she wanted a pet. So a couple years ago, she comes to me and she says, Dad, I really want a pet. And I, of course, tried to, I tried to buffer this and I said, we have a pet. We have two of them. We have two dogs. We have a Marmaduke and we have a Dixie. Take your pick. You can have one. You, do, you get to do all the taking care of the dog. And she said, no, that's not what she wanted. She wanted her own pet. And so I said, Jennifer, you don't know what you're saying. There's a lot of responsibility. A pet. You're going to have to clean it and bathe it and feed it. And she is right when she said this to me. My daughter said, Dad, I am very responsible. And she is nine out of ten times. If you know me on any personal level, I, there's a saying around my house that every household needs a Jenny. Like she's that type of responsible. So when she says, I'm responsible, Dad, I really didn't have an argument. Okay, she's responsible. I said, Jenny, there's another problem, though. They're expensive. And she came to me, she'd been working at the ball field all summer, and she said, I've got like $500, I'll buy it, I'll buy the pet. And I said, well, it's not just a one-time fee, Jenny. There's, there's upkeep with that pet. And she said, I'll pay for it, I'm gonna work at the ball field again this year, and I'm gonna work in the, the concession stand, I'll pay for the pet, I'll do all the bedding, I'll pay for all the food, I'll get, all the, I'll get everything that the pet needs. Okay, you win. She's responsible. She, she wanted the, the, the pet. In a roundabout event, I'll spare you some of the details, we end up with a guinea pig. <laughs> a lovely guinea pig named Loki. Loki the guinea pig. And Loki the guinea pig and Jennifer were friends for about three months. <laughs> I'm right. And they were, they were friends for about three months, and then, and then it set in that this thing was eating up all our money. And she didn't want the guinea pig anymore. Well, we have a rule in my house. If we, if we adopt an animal, that animal's ours. Like, we don't, we don't get animals and get rid of them. And, and there was kind of a discussion of whether we should just, like, let it go in the field. And I'm like, that's not fair. That little animal, you know, he's just going to get eaten by a snake or whatever. So, no, we're not going to put him out in the field. You, bought, you wanted him. This is a life lesson. You keep the animal. Well, a, a year, maybe more than a year goes by, and she gets to the point of loathing Loki. And she doesn't like Loki anymore. Right, poor little Loki, right? Like, I'm like, you got to pull Loki out and play with him. She's like, pull him out and there. <laughs> and she just set him on the ground. She didn't like Loki anymore. And so I told, I told Jenny, I said, you can give him to one of your siblings. They all want pets. So she gave Loki to each sibling in order. And in order, they gave Loki back. <laughs> and then she tried to give it to her friends. And our friends would come over and she would say, do you want a guinea pig? And they'd look at her and say, no. They'd be over for dinner. Some of you might remember, you're over for dinner. And Jenny's like, y'all want a guinea pig? I got a guinea pig. You can have him. She'd give the guinea pig to anybody. And she looked at me one night and she said, dad, I don't get it. Nobody wants the guinea pig. And I went, I tried to tell you that. Now listen, sometimes things are right in front of our face. Like we know the answer. Why didn't anyone else want the guinea pig? Because guinea pigs are work and you got to clean their cage twice a week and you got to buy bedding and food and everybody else when Jenny proposed to them the guinea pig could see from the outside looking in could go I don't want that especially considering the fact that you so seriously don't want that guinea pig I don't know what's wrong with your guinea pig but I don't want him and nobody else wanted it we can tell from the outside looking in but sometimes you get so close to something 
You begin to the idea, love the idea of something that you don't necessarily see the reality of it. Listen, with our lives, we do a very similar thing. Sometimes we get so close to this life and the idea of what this life could be that we fall in love with, with life. And Jesus told us in his word that if we love this life, we'll lose it. And we love the idea of, we, th- we think about this life and we, th- we start to think that, that, that this life has something for us. And Jesus was pretty clear when he told us that there's really nothing here for us. And that's what I want to show you today. I'm, I'm going to prove it to you. And it's going to seem weird. I know. It's Genesis and we got to this list of names again. And some of you, I think some of you are starting to dare me. Like, I, we got to that first list of names. Everybody's like, is he going to do the list of names? Yes, we're going to read the list of names. So stick with me. Don't fall asleep. It's Genesis chapter 11, verse 10. I'm going to do my best and no correcting me if I mispronounce them. Leave it alone. I'm going to try my best. Are you ready? Oh. Two weeks back, and we've just lost our amens already. Let's try it again. Are you ready? There we go. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old, and he begot Arphaxad two years after the flood. After he begot Arphaxad, Shem lived 400 years, 500 years, excuse me, and begot sons and daughters. Arphaxad lived 35 years and begot Salah. And after he begot Salah, Arphaxad lived 403 years. And he begot sons and daughters. Salah lived 30 years and begot Eber. And after he begot Eber, Salah lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and, Eber, uh, and after he begot Peleg, and Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and begot Ru. After he begot Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Ru lived two, yeah, 32 years and begot Sarug. And after he begot Sarug, Ru lived 207 years and he begot sons and daughters. Sarug lived 30 years and he begot Nahor. After he begot Nahor, Sarug lived 200 years and he begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. After he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And pay attention, I'm in verse 28 if I've lost you. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, and she had no children. And Terah took his, uh, took his son Abram and his grandson Lot and the son, the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they, went out with a- and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and lived there. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. I know it didn't seem like much, but let's see what the Lord can do with that. Let's go to him in prayer now. He'll answer us. Heavenly Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to open up your word to us. Father, would we be so bold as to think that your word would be meaningless to us? You forbid it. Father, I pray that you would open up your word to us and that it wouldn't just, wouldn't just speak to us. Father, I pray that it would come alive. And I pray that we would hear from you and I pray that we would leave on fire for you. Because as you so know, we desperately need it. Father, we need the church to be on fire for you right now. 
not just here, Father, the church at large. And Father, it sure seems as if things are, things are going crazy around us. And this is so easy for us to be distracted. Would you remind us today what is right in front of us, what we know, why we need you. Father, would you speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look, I'm going to show you today exactly why we need a Savior, exactly what's been right in front of us the whole time. Now, we've got this list of names, and if I could get, if I get you to pull a graphic up for me, we've got a graphic that, that I want to show you, and we, you've been seeing this on Facebook, and you might have seen it in here a couple of times. Uh, okay, now, you need to understand something. The bottom part of that, this is Genesis outline for you, if, you, if you're c- confused about that. Look at the bottom, that kind of bottom shelf there is creation, and then the fall, and then flood, and dispersion. That's 11 chapters of Genesis. In our world, if you were in a history class, you would label that as, or a science teacher, a history teacher would label that as prehistoric. That is before we can calculate a time. I can't get into any extra biblical or biblical information and say the creation was. Now, my personal belief is that we have an early earth. We have a young earth. I don't think that we have an earth that's billions of years old. It doesn't seem to match the science that we see. Uh, And so the creation is somewhere in my mind, around 8,000, 6,000, 8,000, maybe even as old as 10,000 years old. Now, some of you hold the opinion, you'll say, no, I believe that the earth is millions of years old. I'm not going to sit around and argue with you about it. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think the science points to that. But I'm telling you, I can't calculate a time for creation. I can tell you my best guess is around 10,000 years ago, the Lord created the earth. That's Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 3 is the fall. That's the fall of man. So you see the fall on, on the screen there at home, and you guys can see the fall. That's where Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. We don't know when that was. We do not have a date for that. That's prehistoric. And then the flood, the flood of Noah. You know that God floods the entire earth. Yes, we believe he flooded the entire earth, not just a little local area. The whole earth, God floods it. And then we get to the dispersion. And when you get to the dispersion, that's the Tower of Babel. How did we end up after Noah, Noah and the ark and the flood, and you go down to just three families, right? It's Noah. Noah has three sons, Ham and Shem and Japheth. And those three sons, Ham, Shem and Japheth, that's who we're descendants of. And of course, that would go all the way back to Adam and Eve if you wanted. But you are a descendant in one way or another of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we saw in Genesis 10, as God, he kept track of them. He doesn't give us the history of all of those people, but God knows them. He knows their names. He knows who they are. He knew what languages they speak, what families they come from. God knows us and he cares. But he dispersed us. He spread us around. That's the dispersion. It's prehistoric. I can't tell you when the Tower of Babel happened. I could give you my best guess, but I cannot give you a history book and say it's at this date. We move today, we bridge from that dispersion up to Abraham. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, these are pillars of the faith. They are, they are what you and I, we, we would know them as pillars of the faith or, or, or you know, kind of founding fathers of the faith. These is, this is who God will make the promise to of his line. See, God, he told us a little bit about Ham. That's the guy, the son of Noah, Ham. He told us, not, not the pig, but you know, ham. It's okay. You can laugh a little. Like we don't have to, we don't have to be real stiff. Listen. So he told us about ham and his family. They'll be the Canaanites. They'll be pagan people, heathen people. He told us about Japheth. He's not going to give it to us in his word. He's not going to go detail by detail, but Shem. Now I want you to come back. Then you can pull the graphic down now, uh, James. I appreciate that. If you come back with me to Genesis chapter 10, look, 
This is the, or Genesis chapter 11, verse 10. This is the genealogy of Shem. God's going to focus in on one of those lines in the rest of his word. In Genesis chapters 1 through 11, those first four uh, uh, foundations that you saw, that time span is at the very least, at the very least, the same amount that the entire rest of the Bible from Genesis 12 all the way through until you get to, not Revelation, but until you get to Revelation, through all the way through Jude, the entire Bible covers the exact same time span. A couple of thousand years from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, a couple of thousand years from Genesis 12 all the way through Jude, all the way in the end of the book. God was kind of rocketing through these, these events, the creation. I mean, he tells us in one fell swoop, in the beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth. He tells us these one day events. He tells us about the fall of man. He just, just like one verse, he'll cover this huge amount of time. And that's what he does here. Look, as he focuses in on Shem, by the way, for those of you who aren't keeping up with that wording, you might hear today, you might hear like a political person talking about somebody who's being anti-Semitic. Semitic, Semitic people, that's from Shem. That's where we get the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. That's right here. God's going to focus in. Ham, he becomes Canaanite. He becomes heathen. Japheth, they become world leaders in their own way. But Shem, he'll become Israel. His line will become Israel. God is focusing in and he's telling us there's a historical side that is telling us. But when he gets to these, word, these names, they seem at first like there's nothing, but pay attention with me. Look in verse 10, here's Shem, here's his line. He was a hundred years old and he begot our facts had two years after the flood. So I know you're not asleep yet. How many years after the flood? It's been two years after the flood, Arphaxad is born. Arf, and, and after he has Arphaxad, read this in verse 11. After he begot Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Well, then there's Arphaxad. So that's verse, uh, that's verse uh, 12. Arphaxad lived 35 years and he begot Salah. And he begot Salah, Arphaxad, after he begot uh, Salah, uh, Arphaxad lives 403 years. That's interesting. Do you see that? You've got Shem, he makes it 500 years. Arphaxad, he makes it 403. Read the next one with me. Salah, I'm in verse 14. Salah lived 30 uh, years and he begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Salah lived 403 years. 500, 403, 403. You sticking with me? Let's read the next one. You're in verse 16. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. After he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and he begot sons and daughters. So 500, 403, 403 but this guy makes it 430. We'll read the next one. I'm in verse 18. Peleg lived 34 years, begot Rue. After he begot Rue, Peleg lived 209. You ever pay attention? That's a big jump. 500 years old, 403, 403, 430. He seems like he's going the right direction. 209. Read this with me. Look, I'm in verse 20. Rue lived 32 years and he begot Sarug. And after he begot Sarug, Ru lived 207 years. Uh-oh, 209 down to 207. Sarug, verse 22. Sarug lived 30 years. He begot Nahor. After he begot Nahor, Sarug lived 200 years, and he begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years, and he begot Terah. After he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years. 500, 403, 403, 430, 209, 207, 200, 119 do you see what's happening with the people's ages? I want to make a really practical point for you. First of all, for all of you theologians who go, do you believe that people really lived 800, 900, 500 years in the Old Testament? Yes. I want you to remember, what did I tell you about those first four pillars, about those first four uh, foundations? That's prehistoric. 
Answers in Genesis gives a great answer for that. If you don't like this and you come to me with another answer, I'll probably agree with you because I'm not going to fall over on my sword over how people lived hundreds and hundreds of years. Answers in Genesis says that maybe God had some sort of a, a water barrier around the earth. Like we have an ozone layer. We have water that's in the clouds. The water being in the sky is not foreign to us. We have it in our clouds. And they suggest that maybe there was an entire barrier of water around the whole earth. And after the flood, we were feeling the effects of the sun in a way that we had not before. I think that's, a pl that's plausible. I think it's probably a little hard to prove, but it's plausible. So sure, can I agree with that? Maybe that's how God did it. But I'll give you a really practical point. You ready for this one? The world's not getting any better. And we like to pretend that it's getting better. Now listen, you're going to come to me because every time I say this, this is not the first time I've taught Genesis and somebody always wants to come at me with the wisecrack and they want to say something. And I want to tell you, are right, you ready? Yes, you're right. I would not want to be in the ancient world and go have a surgery. That would stink. Yeah. Yeah, with me? Right. Okay. So yeah, you're right. We've got anesthetics and we've got, and we've got, we can, we can be put down, put on, put to, put down, <laughs> put to sleep when we're, when we're, that's probably the same. Anyways. So look, we can, they can, they can give us pain reliever now. I mean, we have sciences. I'm not saying that we don't have science and technology. The problem is our science and our technology leads us to believe that somehow we're getting better. And we like to have this idea that we're ascending this ladder of getting better. That things are getting better in the world around us, that things are getting better because of our technology or because of our, that somehow in 2020, we, we figured it out. Well, I'm about to get real serious with you. Because in 2020, I don't think we have figured it out. I'll just give you a real simple example for a moment. Did you know the Great Pyramids don't have any mortar? Have you ever thought about that? Like, we can't figure out how to do that. In the ancient world, they were able to put together the Great Pyramids and they did it with no mortar. Those rocks are so fitted together. John, we don't even know how they would move them, much less fit them together so tightly. And yet they are. The ancient world was way smarter than we get. We like to think of them like they were barbaric and they were so stupid and they were so dumb. Friends, I don't think they were stupid and they were dumb. I think they were very smart. And not only do I think they were very smart, I think that as we progress and our technology progresses, I think we actually learn less because we're very dependent to say, Okay, Google. Hey, Siri, what's, what's this or what's that? And I'm, I'm really not done because in 2020, when we think that we've do, been doing better and we think we've got it all put together, can I get real serious? We came down with a virus and the best fix we had for a virus was go hide. Uh-oh, I know, I know, I just said it and some of you are like, you shouldn't say stuff like, I'm t did, am I telling anything wrong? 2020 and the best we had for a virus was go hide. Go hide in your house and don't go out anywhere because we really don't know what to do. 2020, we can't figure out if they're boys or girls and which bathroom they can use. I thought we were getting better. If we're getting better, somebody explain to me why we can't figure out which bathroom to use. 2020, we can't, do we think we've got parenting? Because what I see all day long is literal adults 21, 22, 25, 26 years old, and they use, they've turned the word adult into a verb, and they say, I can't adult today. I thought we figured it out. Somehow, we've lost it. We're in 2020, and we think we've got it figured out, but I tell you this, if you look at the rates of divorce, I don't think we've got it figured out. If you look at depression, which is huge right now, did you know, I, I, got, a, I got a little... Um, I get some inside information because of some uh, boards that I'm a part of. And did you know that currently right now, 
because of the coronavirus, since coronavirus, did you know that suicide hotlines are up 300% in calls? So is, are we getting better with depression, anxiety, divorce? Have we figured it out? How about child abuse? Have we, have we figured it out? I mean, because it doesn't seem to me like if I go down the laundry, if we think about drinking or drugs or any sort of addiction, I just don't think we figured it out. You see, what we have is this. We look, at, we look at Genesis chapter 11 and we look down through and what we see is there was 500 years and then there's 403 and then there's 200 and then there's 119. Why are their ages going down? Are you ready? I'm gonna give you the most unscientific but biblical answer I can give you because sin is in the world and sin brings death. And that's exactly why we need a savior because we thought we thought we had it figured out. We thought we were doing good. And, and remember what I told you, we get so close to loving this life that we don't want to picture those things. We don't like to picture the things in the videos. We don't like to picture what happened in, in, the, in our history in the country. And we don't like to picture what could be coming for us right now. We don't want to picture that. So what do we do? We bury our heads in the sand and we just try to love the life that we have. But that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to go to the Savior who offers to save us from this life because friends by the end of it there's something you should know this life is coming to an abrupt end for each and every one of us part of the reason by the way some of you are so shocked at me you're like you're not worried about a virus no i'm not worried about a virus you want to know why i'm not worried about a virus because the last time i checked my days are numbered remember that and yours are too and what I'm telling you is this life's not going to get any better. And that's actually our next point. Look with me. We got through the names and we see that the, the, the numbers are going down. Their ages are, they're not lasting as long. People, people don't make it as long. Their lifespan is less. Get to verse 27 with me. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. Are you sticking with that? You get the story? There's a genealogy here. There's Terah. Terah has three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran has his own kids. So this is Terah's grandson. His name's Lot. Verse 28, Haran died before his father, Terah, in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Friends, there's a second reason we need a savior. In 2019, I, d I dubbed it for myself. I dubbed it the year of the funeral. I did, in, in 2019, I performed, I did the, I officiated, if you will, the funerals. I did 11 funerals in 2019. And I attended 13. I kept everyone. Some of you remember because I was there with yours and I keep all the little, I keep all the little handouts. Every time I go, I've got a whole stack of them and I went back and counted. Officiated 11 and attended 13 funerals, more than a funeral a month for all of 2019. I was officiating the funeral for a, uh, a particular man and uh, I was talking with his son and his son was very devastated by the death of his dad and he said, I don't know how people can do this without God. He said, I, he said, I, I know that I'm going to see my dad again because my dad was a believer and I'm a believer and I know that I'm going to see him again and I have that promise. He said, but he, he's asking me now, he said, what do you do? What do you do when you get to a funeral? And by the way, I had several of these last year. What do you do when you get to a funeral of somebody who didn't believe? What do you say to comfort somebody who you can't make them an empty promise and say, you're going to see them again? What do you say to that person? 
And, and the honest truth is that in that setting, by the way, you, you want to minister to this person in a very real way, and you want to lead them, especially me as a pastor, I want to lead them to Christ. That's an important thing. And so I told him, I said, well, here's what I do. I usually just try to encourage them to remember good times that they had, you know, remember the good times they had with their loved one, remember, sometimes it's even good to like write those things down. So I've heard people say, often they'll say, I'm afraid I'm going to forget. I'm going to forget what they smell like, what they smell like, or I'm going to forget what they, uh, what they, even what they look like, or the things they did. And I'll say, well, write those things down. When you, when you have a memory, like write it down in a journal, and I'll try to encourage them to remember the good times. And this guy I was talking to, he said something really wise when I told him that. He said, I don't think there could ever be enough good days. Ecclesiastes, I love the way the book of Ecclesiastes talks about it. It's, it's like we're, it's like a river pouring into the ocean. It's never enough. Do you understand that if this life, I don't care if this life is 900 years, 500 years, 403 years, 119 years, do you get where I'm going with this? It doesn't matter how many days there are. If it comes to an end, it's going to be real short. I've not talked with an older person yet who was like, oh man, it seems like forever ago. No, they always say it seems like yesterday. Am I right? You talk about your high school years, and they go, it seems like it was yesterday. You talk about something, they, it seems like yesterday. It just, seems like, it just goes so fast, this life is, is but a vapor. Did you catch what happened with Tara? Tara has three sons, and one of his sons dies before he does. All these other guys are living a couple of hundred years, and this poor guy named Haran, he doesn't make it. Why doesn't he make it? The same reason you and I aren't going to make it, because death is coming for us all. It's appointed unto us all to die once. This life is short, and that is why we so desperately need a Savior. Listen, God created a perfect world and there was no death in that world. That was, remember, that was creation. But then mankind, soon after creation, mankind fell and God told us something. He warned us that in the day that they would sin, the day that they would eat the fruit, we would surely die. And surely enough, that's what we've brought. Man, we're, what's imputed to us, what's imputed to you is sin. And because of sin, there is death. And death is coming for us all. We've all sinned and the wages of sin are However, turn in your Bibles. Would you do this one with me? Would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5 and verse 24? John chapter 5 and verse 24. I'll give you time to get there. John chapter 5 and verse 24. You find it? We're pretty much there. That's pretty good. I'll, get, I'll give you, that's like 70%. Okay, John 5 and 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. You get it? This life is so short. That's why we need a savior. Amass all the wealth you want to amass. Just gather it all up. But when you come to the end, you'll be, just like, you'll be just like Solomon in Ecclesiastes. And what will you say? It's all for nothing. I can't take it with me. And then you have those, you have those very loving people in the, in the world today who would say, well, that's why we don't need to worry about money, but we need to worry about relationships. Well, I'm going to say the really hard thing, even those come to an end. Because this life is coming to an end. And that is why we need a savior. There's nothing else that can fix it. You can't put anything else there and say, well, if you would have, if you had money, if you had relationships, if you had a wife, if you had kids, if you had meaning, if you had this, it doesn't matter. No matter what you have, it will come to an end. This life is short. 
And not only is this life short, but I want to picture something else for you. Look at this. So listen, if you're not keeping up with me, this life's not getting any better. This life is short. That's why we need a savior. Let's look at this with me. It's in verse 29. So we saw that this poor guy, Haran, he dies before his father. So in verse 29, then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name, of, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no children. Here's this family tree coming down. We've focused in on Shem. We've focused in from Shem. Now we're into Terah. Terah gets us down. He has three kids and we're focusing. There's Abram and Nahor and Haran. Haran, Haran dies. So now there's two sons, Nahor and Abram. Nahor gets a wife. Her name's Milcah. They have no problem having a child. They have Iscah. Not a problem. That's fine for them. But Abram, he marries a girl named Sarai and Sarai can't have children. She's barren. Now remember that God will call Abram. I don't have time to get there today. That'll be next week. But God calls this guy named Abram and God will make these promises to Abram. He's going to say to Abram, I will make you a great nation. I'm going to give you land. And through your people, every nation of the world is going to be blessed. Those are three promises God's going to give to Abram. Well, imagine how hard it's going to be for Abram and Sarai when they get to the point that they want to have children and God's promising that there's going to be a nation that comes from them, but Sarai can't get pregnant. And they keep trying and they keep trying and they keep trying and she can't get pregnant. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we have a big family and there was a span there about 13 years ago, where my poor wife was pregnant every summer. And if you've been pregnant during the summer, you, you know that that can be miserable. And some of you are like, amen, that's right. I'm going to get one amen out of you. And that was it. <laughs> now listen, look, it was miserable for her. And she was, she was really making it known is the word I'm going to, that's my choice of words. <laughs> she was making it known that she was miserable in her pregnancy in the middle of summer. And we were over at some friend's houses, uh, a friend's house, and we were talking about some of the things that Sarah was going through being pregnant over the summer. And there was a particular young lady there and she got up and left the room and she came back later and she had been crying. And we didn't really know in that moment, we didn't really know what had happened, but it was about a month later that we find out that that poor young woman had had two miscarriages that year. And so as we were complaining about heat and being uncomfortable and being pregnant, this other poor girl, she couldn't, well, didn't, she had got pregnant twice, but she didn't have a baby twice in a row in the same year. And what I want to say to you is this, listen, life is hard. And it is hard for each and every one of us in your own way. For, for Sarah, yes, pregnancy was hard over the summer. But for a poor young woman who had miscarried twice, that was very hard. For Mr. Tara in Genesis chapter 11, don't you think it was hard for him when he lost his own son? As a matter of fact, here in a moment, they're going to get up and go. They're going to leave Ur of the Chaldeans. Did you ever wonder maybe did Tara leave Ur of the Chaldeans because of his son dying? It does seem kind of interesting that we were told about Tara's son, Haran, dying, and then they get up and move. Do you understand that no matter who you are, you, are, you have something that, that's hard for you. Life is hard. And mind you, I want you to understand this. This is the problem. The pro you understand. If I say that, that life's hard for you, like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I get it. Like, whether it's financial or family or your marriage or somebody's died or whatever, life's hard for you. 
What I want to remind you is that if that's a true statement, then the person beside you and in front of you and behind you, your neighbors, your cousin, your friend, whoever, life's hard for them too. It's literally hard for all of us. And mind you, that's why we need a savior. Because the savior, am I promising you that if you take the savior that life becomes easy? No, it's not like that at all. What I'm promising you is that if you take the savior, he's there to walk with you and strengthen you. It's not freedom from the pain, it's strength to endure. When I have Christ beside me, do you remember what Jesus said? He said, in this world you will have trouble. But then what did he say? Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. He didn't say be of good cheer because if you believe in me, I'll make all your trouble go away. He said, no, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. It's his strength, it's his power, it's his might that I'm going to rely upon. I need a savior because this life is hard. And I have to wonder to myself, when I think of things like what's going on in the world right now, listen, I find a lot of comfort when I can remember that my savior is actually in control. I'm curious for the person who's trying to go at this alone, I don't understand how you would ever do it. Because this life's hard for all of us. And for some people in the middle of this, they're going through financial struggles. And for other people in the middle of this, they lost a loved one. And for other people in the middle of this, they had to work through the whole thing. And they've, for other people, their dad started drinking or their mom started drinking. Or now they've got somebody in their family who's suicidal. And they're one of the 300% increase that's calling the hotlines. Do you understand that it's hard for everybody? But Jesus doesn't take away the pain. But he makes me strong enough to endure it. I, don't, I, don't, I won't make you turn to it, but I, you probably remember Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This world is hard, and I need a Savior. I'll give you one more. You ready? Let's, let's finish up the chapter. So here's uh, Abram and Nahor. They take wives, Milcah and Sarai. Sarai can't have a kid because she's barren. Verse 31, and Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's, <clears throat> I got lost there, sorry his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now, did you, do you understand the story? Let's just get the story straight first. Terah has three sons. One of the sons dies. Now he's down to two. He tells Abram, did you notice that he left he, he left the other son. He, he, left, he left his third son. He left him back. He only takes Abram and Sarai. Nahor and Milcah stay back in Ur the Chaldeans. So Terah loses Haran in Ur the Chaldeans. He leaves his other son, Nahor and Milcah, his wife. He leaves them there. Why did he leave them there? By the way, you need to understand just the history of that. Families had to stay together. It's just a different time. It's, we're, still, we're in the bridge of that prehistoric to historic time. Families had to stay together. That's how you took care of the farm, and that's how you produced enough food, and that's how the way everybody could survive was to stay together. So why do you think Abram and Sarai couldn't leave Terah? They didn't have any kids. You understand how hard it would be for these two to live without having any kids, without having any grandkids or any, anybody there? So why do you think it was that Abraham stayed with Lot for so long? And he had to amass all these servants. Everybody brings up the fact that he has servants later. He had to, he had to have servants. It's the way to survive. So here's Terah. He takes Abram and Sarai and Lot, the grandson. Remember Lot, his dad died. Life's hard for him too. And look where they're going to go. 
They've got a grand idea. Tara says, let's go. Let's get out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I, I'm telling you, it's my personal opinion. I think Tara had to leave because his son had died. I know plenty of people who are like that. I just can't be there. I can't, I can't do that anymore. And so, so here's Abram and he takes Lot and his wife and, and Tara, his dad, and they all get up to go. Where are they going? Look at with me. He takes them all and they're going to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and they're going to go to the land of, it's in verse 31, Canaan. Who knows what Canaan is? It's the promised land. Like there's one half of the Bible that speaks of Canaan, the Canaanites, they're evil, wicked people, heathen people. That's true. But that's also the promised land. God says, I'm going to send you there to the promised land. That's where you're going to go. Now, don't misunderstand this statement. They did nothing wrong by getting up and trying to go to the promised land by trying to go to Canaan. But did you notice something? The plan was to go to Canaan. Where did they make it? It's in verse, 30, uh, verse 31 there. So they were going to go from Ur of the Chaldeans uh, to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. They couldn't make it. Now, I'm not implying in any way that the historical value of this text is that they did something wrong by trying to go to Canaan or by not making it all the way to Canaan, but I want to make a really practical point for you. We need a Savior because we cannot make it on our own. It's too hard. And I don't just mean that life's too hard. I mean that for you to get to God, for you to come to God, it is too hard on your own. If you say of yourself, listen, do you think that Tara had the motivation to get up and leave? Yeah. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're to the point, you've got the motivation, you're ready. I'm ready for this old life to be done with. I'm tired of this old life. I want a new life. But you hear me, if you don't take the Savior, it's too hard and you can't make it. There's no way. There's no way for you and I. We love to picture this idea like we're going to do enough right that it's going to outweigh our bad. Do enough good that it'll outweigh my bad. It won't go that way. You can't get to God by doing enough right. You can't, do, you can't get to God by abstaining from enough wrong. You can't say, well, I didn't do isn't that what our kids like to do, right? Like, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. That won't get you to God either. You can't, you can't abstain from enough stuff. You can't abstain from enough sin to get to God, and you can't do enough righteous stuff to get to God. You'll never make it. It's too hard. You can set out to do it. You can say, I want to go to God, but you hear me. If you try to go any other way besides Christ, it's too hard, and you'll never make it. You can't pray a certain prayer. You ready? I'm, I'm just going to make sure we all understand. You can't come to church enough. You can't sing enough songs. Just like there's not enough days for us to be happy with, uh, with our life, if it ever comes to an end, there, that, uh, that'll make it too short. In the same way, don't you know there's not enough good stuff you can do? Because every time you do something else good, you'll remember something else bad. It will never, you'll never be able to get done. My kids, every year, the leave, we have a bunch of trees in our yard, and the leaves cover the whole yard. And the kids ask me every year, they say, Dad, can we rake the leaves for money? Because they want money. They take after me. That's me. I'm like, I'll do it, but I want to be paid for it, right? And so they, they want to be paid. They're like, yeah, I'll do it, but I want to get paid for that. And so they want to rake the leaves for money. And I know every year when I tell them, sure, with no hesitation, yeah, go for it. Go ahead. Rake the whole yard. I'll pay you. They never get a quarter of the way done. 
The yard's too big. They're not going to do I know they're not going to do it. They go out and they rake, and I look out back there later, and I look by the shed is raked, or by the one tree is raked, and there's a big pile, and then that's just it. They can't make it any further. Their, their legs are short. Their arms get tired. They get out there, and as the yard is huge. There's a ton of trees, and I'm telling you, they never do it until I go out there with them. I don't know why it is that when I go out there with them, they can get the yard raked other than I think to myself, I feel like I'm doing most of the raking here, but that's probably beyond the point. <laughs> I get out and I start raking with them. And sure enough, in one afternoon, we can, it is possible to rake the yard. I just know they can't do it on their own. And so whenever I promise them that I'm going to pay them for raking the yard, I really never have any concern. I mean, I'd pay them. I don't mind, but I'm just saying I'm not paying for a half done job. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I know I'm not going to have to pay them because they're not going to rake it all. But if I go out there with them, they can rake it. Will you hear what I'm trying to tell you? You cannot make it to God without God. It won't work that way. Read it with me. Let's just do it real quick and we'll end here. This will be a great place to end. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 23. Look at Matthew chapter 19 and verse 23. Matthew 19 verse 23. You ready? <laughs> Almost. Amen. Yes. No. <laughs> I don't know who said no, but <laughs> Matthew 19 and verse 23. You ready? There we go. Then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. How can I get to God? You're going to need God to get there. You're too weak on your own. You can't rake it all on your own. You need him. And do you know what he's done? He sent you his son. And made the way possible. Do you understand that? If we'd got to the fall, remember that graphic? If we'd had creation and we got to the fall of man and God had left us right there and never came, we could never get to him. But now we can get to him because 2,000 years later, it was part of his plan all along. God sent his only son, Jesus, to this earth and he died for our sins. And so all of those sins that remember my good can't weigh out my out outweigh my bad, remember that? God paid for those and he said, I'll, I'll ransom that, I'll pay that. And he sent his own son. His son died for our sins. They put him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And he stands alive today, inviting you to the Father. He's not a dead Savior in a grave. He's certainly not still on a cross. He's arisen. He's in heaven. And he mediates between God and us. As a matter of fact, I would even remind you that the Bible's pretty clear. The only reason God hasn't poured out his wrath yet is because Jesus the Son is still inviting us to come unto him. And God's going to wait until every last one of us is saved. If you want to come to God, you can. But you can only do it one way, through his Son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Let's all stand up on our feet and we'll go to the Lord in prayer in this time of invitation. Heavenly Father, we turn to you in Jesus' name and we ask you so very plainly that, Lord, you would move in this time of invitation that you would grab a hold of our hearts and you would draw us unto yourself. 
And Father, we just pray right now that you would, that you would speak. Lord, I cannot keep, I, I cannot reach a heart. I can hardly keep attention. But Lord, you can reach our hearts. And we pray that you would. And I pray that even through this text, even through this text of names, that you would reach our hearts and you would draw us unto yourself. For we know, Father, that that is your will. And so we just pray that right now you would speak in this place, that you would move. And Father, if you would move, Father, we would all fall on our face. Help us to feel your presence and to know that you're here. And Father, for those who don't know you, I pray that you draw them unto yourself. I pray that for those who are watching online as well. Father, I pray you can reach across distance. You can reach across the whole world. What's the world to you? You spoke it into being. Would you reach down and grab our hearts and draw us unto yourself? Father, for those who need salvation, I pray that they would receive you. For those who need to rededicate their lives, I pray that they would do so. I pray that you would take the invitation and you would do with it your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you made it all the way through the sermon. Thanks so much for sticking with us. Don't forget you can find all of our sermons at saltandlightbaptist.com slash media. You can join us live on Sunday morning on Facebook or at saltandlightbaptist.com slash live. We'll see you next week.